to the um, the slackers and. Oh no! I thought I thought that was like. Uh. <laughs> I thought I was waiting for like someone to go. Like Ben did last year. <laughs> well, this video oh. games list is going to be pretty short because I don't. I don't didn't play many of these games. Yeah, because everyone left uh, because my poor scheduling. <laughs> um. Awesome. So part two. Okay. Dude. This is where we because if you notice that was just the events and the things surrounding the cultural community. But what is gaming without games? So as of last year, hopefully we don't get bogged down. We start <laughs> with January. Dun, dun, dun. DC Universe on. DC Universe Online, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective, Little Big Planet 2, Dead Space 2, Two Worlds 2. That's a lot of Are twos. People, most people. Are people still playing DC Universe Online, or is it dead? It went free to play, and they had a huge surge of players because of it. Huh. So they're actually successful. Mildly. Yeah. It, it's iffy, but they weren't at first, especially with the hack, and then the hacking scandal pretty much killed a huge <laughs> user base, especially with their one free month that they got. Yep. But when they went free to play, they got a huge influx of users. I don't know how big... I, I don't think they're that big, but they're sustainable for the moment. Mm-hmm. Because online, of that. basically? Maybe not even that big. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not going to judge either way. <laughs> because I, I frankly don't know. I wonder! And here... It makes me wonder, though, how long before the Old Republic goes the way of the Dodo? You know, or... That's, uh... That's uh that was Penny Arcade's comic that one that I was trying to find something else on their site for linkage purposes that he says like so it's awesome and they're talking about it and they say it's so great so how long does it go to free to play ah, I give it two weeks ah <laughs> 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 oh, the cynical world we live in as someone who works for a technically free to play MMO um I just groan in sympathy it happens I've worked on free to play MMOs before twenty oh seven. Okay, Chris, this is this was your big bee in the bonnet back in the beginning of the year. Little Big Planet 2. Oh boy. Yeah, so for those who don't just religiously follow my work, you know, back when I actually <laughs> wrote articles, my big contention, actually I had two with Little Big Planet 2 when it first came out. The first was that it's biased toward the upper middle class. You've got this HUD going on. Well, not HUD so much, I guess, as just general UI that generally assumes that you're playing on an HDTV of pretty substantial size. And right there, I think you have a pretty significant problem about... Is that because the text is too small? The text is small and shoved into the far corners, and it's really difficult to read on anything short of a huge, huge widescreen TV. I have a pretty decently sized TV, and I was not able to read the text clearly in most cases, except except when I was sitting really close to it. Yeah, I wrote an article with a lot of... I wrote an article that basically just went point by point my issues with two games that had all the same problems, and one of them was, fix your damn text. I got a 52-inch screen TV, and I could not, for the life of me, read read these car stats on them. And see, the problem with like having an issue like that with something like Little Big Planet 2, which is all about, ooh, diversity, is that it, it sells itself short. It, it reveals its own hypocrisy that... You have all of these like montages of you know sack boys and sack girls of all these different ethnicities playing up in all these like uh, like you know regional costumes, and then the reality of it is generally statistically speaking, you are the child of a successful white person. Congratulations. And my other problem with Little Big Planet Two was how it ended up being less inclusive gender-wise than its predecessor, in that the first game tried 
with relative success to be gender neutral or in some cases gender inclusive. They would use sack boy or sack girl or sack person, sackling. They would mix it up as frequently as possible. In the narrative mode of Little Big Planet 2, which I otherwise quite adored and thought it was, you know, a major step up in creating like this really adorable universe, you're called Sackboy very explicitly and all these other male gendered names. And you can bet that even though there are some that will call you mayor, like like gender neutral names, not once are you referred to as sack girl or my dear or something like that. And again, it's just like with the issue with obviously biasing yourself toward um, this kind of like this upper middle class. And with that, the implications of race, you're just assuming, oh, a boy is playing this game. Why would you make a game? like Little Big Planet 2, which is completely, you know, gender like inclusive, anyone can get into it, suddenly be a boy space. So bros, I'm sexual. <laughs> I, I you one of the weirdest things about that though is that Little Big Planet especially with the first one, which my friends and I absolutely loved, especially smacking the hell out of each other when someone screwed another person over into a fire pit. <laughs> was that it, it was just like, this is a fun game. This is the kind of game that kids play that you want to play with your kids. You just It's just joy incarnate, despite it being hard as hell. And, and there was one other thing that just irked me about the difference, which I cannot remember, so I will move on, mm-hmm. is another thing is, how fast did this disappear from the public consciousness? You know what? And this was in January when nothing else really came when nothing came out after. And here's the thing, looking at this list now up. and comparing it to my best up list that I've been trying to write for my blog, I had forgotten this. It came out in 2011 at all. I thought it was a 2010 game. I just uh, it had just completely slipped my mind. And the thing is, it was getting nines and nines, fives, as little as scores mean. This when you go that high, it's like, wow. No one remembered this. Either it didn't deserve that, or you don't, or you're just telling publishers don't release in January. I think it did really well. I mean, commercially, sales wise, yeah. yeah. But it's just like as far as and see, there's another thing too because I think it still has kind of had a bit of staying power as a children's game beyond its release date. It's been put into an awful lot of bundles with PS3s and so on. But as far as critical awareness... Shot the, move, shot the move sales up through the roof, that's for sure. It's just Yeah, it's just like critics have just kind of forgotten that it ever happened, which is a shame. I'm I just, think it's because it might have been because it was the, the first one it was remembered for months, if not at least over a year after it came out. First one was remarkable. Out. Second one was just more of the same. I and don't know. I think it was, slight, it, was, it was better, but just not enough better to be memorable. Because... It's kind of like the second rock band. It's like, I got the first one, and then my friend got the second one, and then when the third one came out, it's like, do you care? No. Okay. I mean, unless you're, like, really, really into it. But, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, it was much stronger than the original game in many aspects, except for the ones where I mentioned about problems with inclusivity. But... It's just like, it's a shame. I mean, I still listen to, like, songs off its soundtrack on my iPod. Uh, it's just like overall a really well put together presentation, and yet it just it's just kind of disappeared because it wasn't remarkable enough. Yeah. One thing here is like when I was going through the list, it's like 
But on the opposite end is like Ghost Trick. I heard nothing about this when it came out. Yeah, I have no idea what I, that even is. Halfway, it's a DS game. Halfway through the year, it got mentioned on uh, Escapist games you might not have heard of, but are interesting. And now it's People being nominated it all over the place for DS game of the year. It's being nominated for Adventure game of the year. Left or right, people are hailing this thing. I had never heard of this. It's like the opposite of of Little Big Planet. And it just. Yeah, and it just called, and now it's like, it got, and then when someone explained it to me what it was, it was like, okay, that sounds really interesting. And then it explained who made it. It was like, okay, where's the GameStop? <laughs> it's made by the Ace Attorney guy. Yeah. It's made by the same director. It, it's quite similar to um, to uh, The World Ends With You. I mean, that was released in, what, 2009? And, yep. and, and pretty much nobody heard about the game when it first came out. And then, you know... After a while, everybody was talking about it. You were saying, "Oh, it's the, the Nintendo DS uh, RPG of the year." You know, that's that's what it became. And apparently, it's a really good RPG. I, I still have yet to play it, but everybody who has a DS is like gushing about it eventually. And for some reason, it takes a while for these games to pick up momentum. Like nobody talks yeah. about them at first. Yeah. So the thing is, I went to GameStop and I was like getting Christmas presents, and they had a two buy two get get the third free sale. It was like, oh, good. Uh, well, these are the two gifts for my friends. And it was like, huh, do you have uh, this for the DS? He checked. He says, no, it's sold out in the area. Oh. What? See? And the thing is, like, yeah, and that's a game people don't trade in. Man. Of course. Wow. <laughs> An adventure game people just don't trade in because they knew what they were getting and they want to keep it. Wow. Yeah. That right there is just says it all. Did you get it eventually? No, no. I'm going to wait till the after after uh, Christmas sales, and I've got a lot of stuff I can trade in because I got it for free. Mm. And a uh, last January game that really sticks out, Dead Space 2. I love that game. But I, Didn't play I it. Think, <sighs> my friend loves the series, but I I just don't see the appeal. You want me to talk about it? I'll talk about it. Okay, I'll talk so about fun. it. Uh, <sighs> so, Dead Space 2 follows after the first game left off, but it's a very interesting critique into Scientology. The whole, the whole game is an attack on Scientology. <laughs> like, the first game sort of briefly touched on the whole Scientology aspect, but the second game really nails it home. Like, you go to, uh, you're in a sprawl, and it's this space station that's orbiting one of the moons um, uh, of Neptune or something, and, well, you know, all hell breaks loose and so on. And the places that you go to, that you, you walk into these locations, they're like uh, Scientology centers. You know Scientology centers, they, they have those real-life uh, mm-hmm. places. Yeah, and the whole game is like has these big locations that are basically all these Scientology areas, and it's a whole criticism of it, of their religion, of their beliefs, of their culture, and it's interesting that they created this whole backstory to it. You don't often see that in an action game. I mean, you might see it in an RPG, but... Here, I feel that uh, they put a lot of effort into into making the world believable, you know, as believable as a world with, uh, with undead zombies can be. This is actually one of the better ones. It's definitely better than, you know, it's the standard above any other zombie game. Like, in most zombie games, it's like, okay, there's an outbreak, and that's it. But here, it's like, they actually explain the reason for it, uh, the... There, there's a philosophy, there's a religion, and I don't, I don't expect these things from the game. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a kind of thing that you, you can actually expect from a good science fiction novel. And I feel that the Dead Space series actually bridges uh, science fiction from novels. Rather than movies, it bridges science fiction from novels into a video game. And, and 
it feels like a huge success in, in that form because it, it, it's very thoughtful, like a science fiction novel would be. You know, it's not a, a Star Wars novel where, you know, it's pulp, shit happens. Here it's an actual science fiction, something that Charles Strauss would have written or uh, Elsa Reynolds or um, Dan Simmons. And it's, it's in that vein. So, you know, for as a science fiction, uh, as a piece of science fiction work, Dead Space is one of the best. You know, there's nothing else in video games that really compares to it except for System Shock 2 or, you know, Bioshock. You sell it a lot better than EA does. I do. Yeah, they did the whole your mom isn't going to like this game thing. I Well, no, I, I was just thinking even like in just like their general press releases where you get to blast off Necromorphs and you get uh, the developers showing off their tech and what you can do in the game. It was like, okay, I'm totally not feeling it. But he says, no, it's about philosophy and what caused it and critiques of religion, of certain religions. And like, oh, that sounds a lot more interesting. See, I think we have the, same, we have the same problem with um, a lot of games, really. I'm tr- I'm thinking specifically of a lot of Bioware titles, and we'll get to that one when we get to March. But the big disconnect between PR firms and developers about what gets out there in the press in regards to a lot of these games is sometimes quite horrendous. They dismiss the best parts. They talk about the worst parts. Like, but, but then it's just like, remorse. but how would you pitch that to a 13-year-old boy it's like, this game talks about philosophy. Exactly! Exactly! And they think to themselves, but that's the market we need. That's the market we want to court. And it's like... Even though it's an M-rated game. Yeah. Okay, I'm off that bend. February. I didn't play well, anything this... in February, except for Steph. I know, this is the this is, the, this is tied for the shortest month. Bulletstorm, Killzone Bullet 3, and Stacking. Bulletstorm is good! I, I played the demo, uh-huh. and when I was finished with the demo, I was like... That was good. I don't care for any more. I'm full. Really? Yeah. Because I love Bulletstorm. And I it played is, it on PC. It is the most fun game of the year. Seriously. It is... It is. It is okay, people tend to think that the game is like... Uh, takes itself seriously. It doesn't take itself seriously at all. It doesn't reach Duke Nukem levels of bullshit. But it is fun. It is a game that that's a lot of fun. It's a like painkiller in that way. It's developed with the same guys. I mean, people can fly and this this game is genuinely fun. It, it takes itself, uh, it doesn't treat itself seriously. It treats itself as a fun, fun game. Uh, and and, and yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish. But Battlefield Three was one of the most fun shooters of the year. I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say that right there. You know, you yeah, have okay. that perfect setup, and you didn't take the I Kanye mean, West line. Why did you do that? Because yeah. I tried and I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. The best thing about Bulletstorm is it made Duke Nukem Forever even more irrelevant when it put. <laughs> it just like thank it is, you Bulletstorm, thank you Bulletstorm for making Duke Nukem even worse. Ian, I'm not saying it was bad. In fact, I enjoyed the demo. It's just when the demo was done, so was I. I was like, I'm full. I That's I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that 15 minutes, and I don't need any more. I think Bulletstorm is a cake. You eat a slice, I eat a whole cake. You know, that's that's what I do. And and Bulletstorm to me is that cake. You know, it just keeps on giving. It's it's it you got the lash, you got the boot, you got tons of different weapons that can use tons of different ways. It's just it's like the developers, I can imagine how they were developing this game. They're like, how can we make this game more fun? How can we make the boot seem more fun to use? Like do we have to make each and every weapon enjoyable to use. Like, you know this, what I did you know what I wish they did? 
is that because they made everything so over the top and so ridiculous. In fact, in some some of the weapons are outright parodies of other video game weapons. Yeah. If they tried to do what Duke Nukem so failed to did and become a satire of the shooter genre. Mm-hmm. You could engage the funny and the intellectual at the same time by doing that. Yeah. And it didn't do that with all its context, contextual elements as well as it did with its weaponry. Bulletstorm, interestingly enough, the characters are kind of well-written, considering. You know, they're not meatheads. <laughs> it's like, there, there is genuine writing there going on in the, in, in the game. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't put it on the I mean, same it, level as Dead Space 2. It seems like a deliberate send-up of a lot of the cliches. I mean, I, yeah. I honestly haven't played very far, but I've heard some great things about, you know, lines in there, like, where they're, they're deliberately um, mm-hmm. poking fun at, like, the homosocial, homoerotic undertones of these big action games, and yep. it, it seems as though there definitely is more potential there than some are willing to give it. But at the yeah. same time, it's not really my kind of genre, right. just in general. So, And almost in perfect antithesis to it, Killzone 3. <laughs> so you have the fun shooter, and then you, the thing is, is like I'm actually playing through the Killzone series one at a time. Mm-hmm. The first one is by far the longest. It, yeah. really, it really shows the difference. PS2 shooters gave you your money's worth. Yeah. But it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm like three quarters of the way through, and it's like, I'm bored of this World War II allegory it in is the boring. first game. I don't like it's, Killzone 3. It's boring. I even play, I played the demo again of the third one. It was like, why am I on this jetpack that has a big red target on my ass? Yeah, it's, but the second one was... The second think the first one, Invasion of France. Yeah. Fine. Second one, Storming of Normandy. Okay. Third one, the rebuilding of the, the building of the Berlin Wall. What? <laughs> or did you really run out of World War II analogies that were now at the be- beginning of the Cold War? Is Killzone Four going to be Korea? <laughs> it, <laughs> I, and it's not even a good allegory it's to a the bad World allegory. War II. It's, it's, it's a like, boring allegory. It takes itself too seriously. No, the first one doesn't. Well, the, the second, the third one do, but the first one oh. is just so poorly made. It's it's like it's like. Because it's so bad, it goes on to plan nine levels of hilarity. <laughs> I told you about, in the second level, which it, it takes about 15 minutes to get to, he says, climb up to that sniper tower and take out their sniper. Okay, you're climbing up the water tower. And he says, like, bam! Oh, no! They got Johnny! He was so young! <laughs> and it says it exactly like that. And I just put down, hit the pause and was laughing. <laughs> I looked at it, I, oh, I'm not supposed to take you seriously, because I can't. I can't take you seriously. Killzone 3 is the same way. It, 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 it has moments where it's supposed to be serious. You're supposed to take it seriously, but it's so awful, you know? It really is but bad. I don't mind the game taking itself, like, the characters and the environment and everything in Gritty taking itself seriously so long as we're not supposed to take yeah. it seriously but we are when it's that poorly executed it's like it's it's, it's different with bulletstorm like bulletstorm when something bad happens to one of the characters you actually care you actually give a shit about them because they're well written you know they have character. But at the same time the thing is with bulletstorm is like when they're getting through their bullshit they know it. the characters may not admit it yeah but the game understands it's bullshit and he says like yeah, just deal with this so you can get back to the insane stuff. 
you can go go ahead and laugh because and everything around it says like the skill shot names, the mm-hmm. the gun, like well the characters are being grim. Nothing about that game says you take this seriously. Yeah, you don't take it seriously. Can't. Yeah, it's a, it's like Xena. You know, it's it, it is comparable to Xena or Hercules' legendary journeys. It's like those those shows were very campy. You know, you're not supposed to take them seriously, but there were parts. Weren't when I was eight. Well, there they were, weren't camp when I was eight. Well, there were parts in, in those <laughs> shows where you 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 actually genuinely cared about the characters because they were so well written that you related to them. And it's the same way with Bulletstorm. It's like it's not a serious world, it's not a serious setting, but there are parts where you can actually relate emotionally to the characters, and that to me makes them very very powerful. You know, you relate to Xena, you relate to Hercules, you relate to the characters in Bulletstorm. It is. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but I'm just repeating myself at this point. Yeah, yeah. but st- and stacking. stacking again. I just played the demo because I couldn't afford it, which really hurts because that demo was just so freaking adorable. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, yeah, Tim. But the thing is, it's like it's kind of hard to get excited about Tim Schafer because, like, at this point, it's like because you're like Monkey Island, awesome, Grim Fandango, awesome. Day of the Tentacle, awesome. Psychonauts, awesome. Brutal Legend, yeah, it's great. Oh, stacking. Yeah, you hit it out of the park again. Oh, okay, good job. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like, just, you can only be awesome so many times. Yeah, it's it's like, it's, it's kind of hard to even put it in the same category as a lot of those other games. It's just like, if it was just an absolute left fielder with no relationship to Tim Schafer, then it'd be just like, this is brilliant, this is amazing, we want to see more from these people. But as it is, it's just it's Tim Schafer. It's like Tim Schafer. Tim Schafer is Pix- is the Pixar of video he games. He makes great games. He, or at least his company, because he yeah. technically was charged that one. But yeah, his his company is the Pixar. Yeah, but and so what is get about what a, is uh, what is Double Fine's um, uh, Cars Two? I guess. Trenched. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is it really good. that bad? It was. Well, neither have I, but the thing is, it's like it disappeared within the public consciousness within a week. And oh. for that to happen to a Tim Schafer game, Cars 2 isn't bad. It's just, if it was by, like, Disney or one of those unheard of companies that make occasional animated movies, it's like, wow, that's pretty good, but it's Pixar. Uh, you, it's you, like, you expect more from them, don't you? Diminishing returns. It's like, it's still great, but you're, you're Tim Schafer. You're double fine. Yeah, Come better. on, step up. <laughs> March. Rift, Pokemon Black and White, Dragon Age 2, Homefront, Crisis 2, I'm ducking. Okay. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if the, you got it? that knuckle pop in there. I, I, I heard it. <laughs> I did too. My knuckle pop. So I, my, played my knuckle. Rift. I played Rift for a while. I played it from the beta. And, well, it's more wow. That, that's all I can say about it, really. You know? It does something's it's, better, it does something's worse. <laughs> and the thing is, it's instancing the the thing that made it special. It's like every MMO now is copying that system. Yeah. So it's not that special anymore. I like the wide open stuff, like you know, rifts would open up in the middle of the world and players could go run to it. It reminded me of Ashron's Call, which also had a similar system. But you know, at this point, uh, I'm honestly not interested in MMOs anymore. You know, it, it, you, you've seen one, you've seen World of Warcraft, you've seen them all. You know, they're all the same. They're minor improvements over World of Warcraft, and WoW still has more content. So why would you play any of these? You know, it's like there's no point. It's a treadmill again. You know, it's like 
okay, I got to level 80 in World of Warcraft, you know, uh, I, I mastered this treadmill, and then there's another one, it pops up, and it's like, oh, great, I gotta start from level 1 again. And there's no there's no reward for it. It doesn't feel rewarding. Like, back in the day when you played EverQuest or Ultima Online, it was new, you know, and, and you're like, oh, wow, I'm playing this for the first time, I'm gonna level up. I must be, I don't know, but my brain must be wired to be the anti-Skinner box, because I did EverQuest back in the day, and I played it for, and the thing is, I kept playing the tutorial over and over because I found that so fun. Yeah. And as soon as I got into the real game, it was like, oh, I gotta fetch this guy the thing. And I did the fetch quest, I got the guy his fish, I then slaughtered a couple of imps, and then it was like, yeah, I'm done. Dad, you can cancel the subscription. <laughs> <laughs> I envy you. I played for and a then, months. Every- and then Echo Bazaar actually held me on for about a month, oh. even longer, but then it's like, and it was so exciting, it was so interesting, war was great, and its systems were simple and addictive, and then the grind hit, and interesting stuff was still happening, it was just, it's now I'm grinding just to get to the interesting side, like, oh, Echo Bazaar, I wish you were a first-person game. And then I finished that, it's like, I must be anti-Skinner box. I, I don't get Diablo clones, either. I love Diablo clones. <laughs> Like, I got through Torchlight because uh, it was my podcast game, a game I didn't need the audio, I didn't need, the audio wasn't important to, Mm -hmm. so I could listen to podcasts, and I finished it once, and I was done. I didn't do any of I didn't... So you don't get games like Rift, or, wow. I I just, I, I can appreciate them on a sociological level and a technological level, but personally, I just can't do it. I'm sure they're... I'm sure they're great and people have fun and they have to at some point because even if even if it is abuse and just it is abuse addiction, it is, addiction, addiction. you're still giving a you're still giving a you're still giving like a hundred hours a week so there has to be something in there. Uh, well, you know, there's a Jeff Vogel article from 2009 where he actually talks about the mechanics of addiction and how game developers, uh, some not-so-nice game developers, which he's referring to Blizzard and other MMO developers, are exploiting, basically, it's a Skinner box thing. They exploit the Skinner box to, uh, to, to get people to spend their time in, in the game. But that's a way to keep them there, but there has to be something to get them in and hold them in for that first little while as it it's is. It's a carrot-and-stick approach. You know, it it, it just that, doesn't work for me. Yeah, it doesn't work for my friend I, Christopher either. I mean, like, I played World of Warcraft with him, quit at, like, level 25, while I continued on to, like, level 60 or 75 or something, and, you know, he, 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 he just, he just didn't see Top that. the draw. I quit. EverQuest, I quit at level 5. Oh, nice. I was like, I was like, I was running around, it's like, I found two quests, I killed some monsters, and I was running around this big city, and it was like, wow, this is actually kind of interesting, and then I got challenged to a fight, I said no, I walked away, and it says, yeah, I'm, I'm just done. I even I'm just done. I have no idea what what to do or why I'm. I don't know why I'm doing any of this. Yeah, yeah. So I just stopped. It's really disappointing because I did a lot of research into how this works and what the character creation was. So I didn't do anything wrong. What the how you talk to people. It was like, oh wow, I just don't care. Yeah. Uh, now okay. like, MMOs don't affect me anymore either. I mean, I'll play. I played Rift for until level fifteen or something and quit. You know, it's like. Okay, okay, I know what this game's about. Yep. And next okay, game. and now, and um, before I let Chris off her leash, I'm going to talk about the only other game from this, for, the only game I can really talk about from March, Homefront. Mm. 
I haven't played it. Racist, right wing piece of shit. Anyway. I'm not even gonna go there. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go. Okay, because it's actually ironically relevant right now. Kim Jong, yeah, Kim Jong Il died yeah, the second of the game. Because because Kim Jong Il dies, his son takes over, and they invade South Korea. Wait, wait, go, wait. Pause the video. Go back. They invaded what? You do realize there is a 40 mile minefield between yeah. the two countries. Mm-hmm. It's like. Okay, they took over South Korea. It was probably a long, prolonged... It was a blitzkrieg. Oh, oh, it was a blitzkrieg? Yeah, yeah. right. And then they took <laughs> over Japan. Really? Japan? What the Did they yen? Wait, they took over Japan? Did the yen collapse? <laughs> what? They got one of the biggest, well-maintained navy... Isolationist navies in the world! Yeah, they do. And they said, then they came over and took Hawaii. Bull fucking... Shit, it's 3,000 miles away. And, and see that coming and, for a week. And before you go to Hawaii, the department they take over Japan, you think the Japanese will just sit down and let them take over? Really? You know, this. Hope the Russians would move in. There's fucking centuries, uh, thousands of years of, uh, of, of, of hatred between these two cultures. They will not let them take over. They will die fighting. They will go kamikaze on the, on the Koreans. Russians will sit over? That's their warm water port. Yeah, they're not going to let that happen. Russia will be like, fuck you, Korea. You know? China. China. North Korea scares the crap out of China, of yeah. all countries. You really think they're moving into South Korea? Yeah, well, we got a billion people who say you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what? We have missile bases. Ah! <laughs> Stop, stop, you're applying logic to a John Melius production here. And then it got, and the thing is, I accepted Red Dawn until I found out what the guy who wrote it believed, because what, because it, to me, it was an Afghanistan allegory, right. and a very good one at that. And that's what I read into it, until I found out what the writer believes. It was like, well, the work stands apart from you, and then Homefront came out. So much for that! <laughs> what allegory is this? If this is an Iraq allegory, you did a piss poor job. No, this no, is no. another Afghan allegory. Again, you did a piss poor job. He's insane. John Miller is insane. He might be a great writer, but he's fucking nuts. I don't know. The only thing of his that I particularly enjoyed was Apocalypse Now, and knowing his other body of work that, that and comparing it to Apocalypse Now is just like he, fuck me. He wrote. He wrote Apocalypse Now, but it was not his work. No. What I ended up screen was not his. No, that was just Francis Ford Coppola writing things on mm -hmm. on note cards every day. It was Coppola, and frankly I'd give more credit to no, I forgot his name. Well, I mean, Martin Sheen and uh, Marlon Brando ad-libbed a lot of their stuff. They did. They did. And that's what made it so powerful. They they became their characters. They embodied their characters even more than the screenwriters could have done. And I I did, I'd give more credit to, to Con, uh, Joseph Conrad than I than I would do to this guy because he had more effect on the story. Mm. Fair enough. So let's just 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 forget for, for, for pretend that he yeah. has no bearing upon that work. I know, all. but I've been so unemotional throughout this podcast that <laughs> you just had like, to get that rage. I wasn't up. offended. I was in. I'm not offended by it. I was insulted by <laughs> it. Mm-hmm. Year has done so much to insult my intelligence. And that was just the trailer. Hey, they're making Homefront too. Oh boy! So, you know. But the the greatest part, <laughs> but the thing is, the thing that made it all worth it 
the thing that lightened my heart to the game was quick suppressing fire at the Hooters. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Had to fu- had to firefight your way up to a Hooters and and get all the North Koreans out. <laughs> yeah. Is there a target in there also? Probably. I don't know. Oh yeah, and then you had to phosphorus a wa- phosphorus the parking lo- phosphorus bomb the parking lot to a Walmart. Never mind where you got the phosphorus, the white phosphorus. I'm sorry, I, but the thing like, is, it's like everything that's wrong with AAA gaming in a nutshell, right there. No, this is what Killzone try <laughs> doesn't try to be, but almost touches upon the the level of ridiculousness that this goes to. Is just is sometimes glorious, and then they mesh it up with torture scenes mm-hmm. and bot jumping. So. Yeah, There's no, I'm that. sorry. If you're going to put a torture chain in your game, you might as well just make it a Kojima game and leave it at that. The thing is, is he's the only one who's done torture well, and what he did wasn't really, isn't really what torture is. I know. It, well, I mean, the one in but the third game gets close, but pro- you don't control that one. And But the thing is, what's interesting is that that's probably why it was done so well. It gives you a facsimile of the torture without actually going into it. But yeah, go on Dragon Age. I'm done with my home. Uh, Black Ops. <laughs> well, hold on. Go to Black, Age. Black Ops is a really good torture thing, you know? You started being tortured, like, at the start of the game. Your whole menu is a torture screen. And that's awesome. I'll take your word for it. I actually, no, I played that opening screen so we could get to the zombie mini thing. But <laughs> yeah, the opening is kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dragon Age 2, carry on. I have no thoughts on this game whatsoever. Do you think I actually spent my March playing this game? It was all a ruse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> no, seriously, I don't I don't want to get into this again. I think it's interesting that people are still talking about it now, that, that articles are still being written about it, that there's... We're still getting articles on the first one. There, so. there, there are still, you know, discussion points that come up on Twitter that people are trying to argue that, you know, the differences in review scores come down to paid versus unpaid bloggers, which I think is a bit of a uh, problematic premise, arguing that uh, most of the positive reviews came from women, which is also problematic. Um, You gave it a 7. I gave it a 7 out of 10, and also I was not aware that Dan Bruno was a woman blogger. Um, So, (laughs) again, it's like he's only one, and there's there's many others, I think. uh, And Yahtzee Yahtzee gave it like the the big thumbs up. Yeah, Yahtzee Yahtzee wrote um, a complete um, extra punctuation piece on... on on dating Anders, dating a gay man, and he used language. And that wasn't totally I loved it that the people who are so critical of Yahtzee for that they were going aww the whole way through because yeah. he wrote it so well. He wrote his experience so well. I know it was it was uh, an unsurprised. I mean, sorry, it was a very surprising twist, a very unexpected surprise out of Yahtzee. Now that being said, a lot of the language was still problematic, but I appreciate the gesture. Um. So in on the whole, it's like, I mean, this is my game of the year, and I know it's not going to be many people's game of the year. I'm sure both of you... Actually, Eric, you haven't played it yet, right? I can't because they took it off Steam. God damn it. Let's... And I refuse to go to Origins because it'll watch me when I sleep. Yeah, but don't hate on Bioware for that, just hate on EA. No, I will hate on Bioware for what else they did to me this year. What, what did else they did they do? I wrote... I wrote an entire post on the matter, and then I lost all the images. That's which not most their of... fault! <laughs> it was. It's their game. It was their help service. It was their system. It was their servers, and it's their material. What part of that was EA? Wait a minute. This was on your on their forums or something? 
No, this was my problem with me trying to actually get their game to work. But this was so on. I call, oh, on their. Oh, oh, I see. Well, yeah, Blame Bio. Because they have you have to link it up to their system, to which that didn't work apparently. Because apparently someone created an account for me, which I never existed. Somehow got into my email address and used one of my emails because I couldn't remember which one it was because I don't use their stupid social service. But you can't get the game unless you're on their stupid social service. And it was just this mess of four hours. And if I had a job, it would not have gone... If it wasn't my day off or if I had a consistent job, I wouldn't have been able to fix this. Because it took me four to five hours with multiple help screens on the phone and online to fix this thing. Yeah, not people... very helpful. Ugh. Yeah, and that's, it was like... that's like outsourced. Still, it's like, that's not the yeah, problem. But at the same time, it's like, by the third person, I got someone who was so helpful, fixed it in five minutes. It, uh, it's... You got an American! No, they were all American. It, it oh. was just competency. Oh. You have anyway. to wait. I know this, because I'm always the guy who has to do helplines, because, because I'm unemployed at the moment. And it's, you just keep calling until you get the competent person. But Ian, you played Dragon Age 2, right? I, I did. I played it a lot. I didn't finish it because I got annoyed with the combat. But uh, yeah, I played it a lot. I played the a second lot of people act. had issue with the combat. I had issues with the combat. I just wasn't playing it for the combat. Mm, I should play it on easy again, you know, for the story this time around. Because I You're really like the characters. Yeah, I should do that. Because I really like the characters. I love Anders. I love Isabella, you know. They, Isabella they were so well written. Yeah. That's the thing, it's just like, I mean, it's one of those games where I feel like, anyway, I think the thing about Dragon Age 2 is like, the things that it does best, it does really, really well. The things that it doesn't do well are the things that feel like they were appellations to this mainstream gaming audience that was mm -hmm. upset that they didn't do things to their standards. And that's where I think you get the big disparity in scores. Not that you know, reviews came from paid versus unpaid bloggers, but what their expectations were going in. I think someone on Twitter put it best, and I wish I could cite them at this point, but a lot of people, a lot of paid reviewers, uh, actually, was it you, Ian, that it was just like, it didn't feel epic enough, and that meant it wasn't to my expectations. Yeah, yeah, I think that was that me. Was you. Yes. Yeah, that was me. And here's the thing, though, though this is more theoretical than I have to do with the game itself, is that it's one of those titles, just from the criticism of it, is my theory pieces on like the genre and what the focus is and what the eternal core of what people expect or want from these types of games is that Dragon Age is two games in one package, and you can shift back and forth between them at any point, and that's the annoying part, because the people who come for the one package are annoyed by the other, and those that are, want the second are annoyed by the first. And it it seems like a schizophrenic hole to me in that regard. And it, and the more I think about it, the more a lot of RPGs are like that. But Dragon Age just seems to be the most extreme example of it's, that. It, it's, I mean, uh, for a Western RPG, it does seem... I think we've been dealing with that with JRPGs for a very long time. Is I think JRPGs, though, have a different structure and different idioms that it's not as noticeable and it's more, it's more integrated. I mean, I think you just kind of take it as given that the mechanics aren't going to line up with the story that it's telling at all. But it's also not, not a matter of this is my person. It is a holding story. So the choice within is more of the minute micro rather than the macro decisions that Western RPGs like Dragon Age try to invoke. Right. 
and that just got really that really high minded right there. The problem with Bioware games in general is that they're each of them is like a hybrid of of different genres. They don't they don't stick to one thing. Something that works like Dragon Age One, I felt that it really worked. You know, like the combat and the dialogue so they all went together, except for the fact that the main character doesn't speak. It was really annoying. I was perfectly fine with that. I, I thought not. I was going to be opposed to it, and then I ended up loving it to the extent that I was actually surprised how much I ended up loving having a voice talk in the second game. Yeah, I liked the voice in the second game. To me, that was that was a, that was awesome, and having the the dialogue system similar to Mass Effect was a plus. But everything else, like the combat, got worse. It's like, why why do you guys do this? Why do you make it an action game? You know, it was. That's the thing, and that's I think that's my real issue with Bioware. It isn't that they hybridize things. It isn't that they're trying to combine these genres. It's that they're trying to please everybody. Yeah, and that's what worries me about Mass Effect Three as well. Is that you know in interviews uh, where they're not hyping the game, they're they're talking about the the audience that they they expect. They're like, oh, we want to get the Gears of War audience. It's like, really? What? Why? You know, you guys already have the RPG audience. Why do you need the Gears of War audience? You know, it's like. They want, they want to cater to everyone. They want to get that Call of Duty fan base that they end up they end up alienating everybody else to like the game. You know, and that's what happened to Dragon Age 2. It's like, okay, you guys got us with the dialogue, that's great, but the combat and the setting and it, it turns us off, you know, it turns us away. It's like you made it smaller, you made it linear. It's like, why? Why would you do this? I actually don't that's- mind that Dragon Age 2 is linear. Um, I just think that again, it's just like they set up all these different expectations with the first Dragon Age game, with Origins, mm-hmm. and then with it, with Awakening. That <laughs> uh, so maybe we should not talk about Dragon Age Dragon Two Age for the entire length of this podcast. I'll just say that like twenty times over: Dragon Age Two, Dragon Age Two. But again, it's just like Christ. Oh, uh, like thank like you, Eric. Thank you. You just totally <laughs> made me. Moving on. on, and we'll use that to move on to April. You're terrible. <laughs> But we did talk about Crisis too, or Pokemon. Ah, fine. Yeah. Well, well. Either of you play Pokemon? No. No. Either no. of you play Crisis? No. Yes. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> okay, Crisis two. Uh, same thing here. Crazy expectations. People are expecting sequel to Crisis. You know, big game, open world. Uh, uh-uh. they didn't get that. They got a very small, tiny Call really? of Duty style experience. A lot. People are expecting a lot from Crisis because. The the main caveat that's remembered about Crisis is that it looked pretty. Honestly, as long as it looked pretty, maybe upped the standards of what pretty was, I don't really see how they could have been disappointed with anything else because this, most people don't remember anything else about it's Crisis. close. I mean, that's the problem with Crisis 2 is that people wanted a more Far Cry-like experience. They wanted a Far Cry or Far Cry 2-like experience where everything is open, where you can engage your opponents in the matter you prefer. But instead, you got a very linear corridor shooter. I mean, it happened to be a kind of open-ish corridor shooter, but it was still a corridor shooter, and that's what people disliked about it. Like, I, I liked it just fine. I mean, I, I didn't have those expectations. I, I felt it was, it was a good game for, you know, a Call of Duty-style game. It, it was a lot freer than a Call of Duty-style game, which is also a plus. But it wasn't as open as I wish it would be. And, and that was what disappointed people. And the story, the fact that they kept hyping uh, Richard Morgan's writing... Like, I love his books. He wrote all Carbon and all. But turns out that he was only brought on to the um, to write for the game after they had designed all the maps. So he couldn't really do much with it, you know? And it, it kind of hurt the quality of the story because the story otherwise would have been okay. It 
would have been a good science fiction story, but unlike Dead Space, which was written from the ground up with the writers involved, it wasn't there. You know, you, you felt that, okay, it's just sci-fi tacked on to a shooter. It, it didn't feel like a real science fiction game to me. And that was disappointing. So as a sci-fi game, I give it a thumbs down. Yeah, that's all I have to say. April. Mortal Kombat, Portal 2, Outland, Fate of the World, Don't Take It Serious Blade, It Just Ain't Your Story. Blade? Babe. You said yeah. Blade, and suddenly I'm just thinking about this huge crossover, crossover between Christine Love Games and the Blade trilogy. which would <laughs> Tweet it. Tweet it. Tweet it right now to her. Yes. <laughs> Idea for new game. <laughs> <laughs> Blade goes to a high school, and he has to be their teacher, but vampires come in at night from the other world where he has to shoot himself in the head to create these monsters to fight back. Yes, what? Atlas should hire her. Atlas should hire her. <laughs> Got the reference. Loud keyboard. Sounds mechanical. Sounds steampunk, like one of those steampunk. It's buttons. totally a nice, sleek Logitech keyboard. My mic is just really close. Uh, I love. I'm gonna love this month because I get to talk about nearly every game in it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's. Tweeted. Um. Yeah, I just read it. <laughs> and there's the response. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, from Ben, who left us. Yes, this is what you are missing, Ben. <laughs> okay, you should talk about Mortal Kombat. Honestly? Yeah. I was done with Mortal Kombat after the first one I played, which was number three, which I played the hell out of, but honestly, I never really played it after that. I yeah, I didn't I didn't play Mortal Kombat, the latest one, but I watched the whole thing. Like I watched all the story stuff on YouTube. I'm not gonna follow that, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I watched the whole thing. It it, it is a it is an insane story, you know. I, I wouldn't say it's badly written. It's very campy, but it's interesting. It creates a kind of lore that you want to follow, you know? Like, yeah, the, the thing is... is like that a comic book strip, what it feels like. Mortal Kombat is the game that made me cringe at a video game. Why? And they call us desensitized. I don't remember what character it was, but it was the fatality where she takes one... She copies herself, each copy takes a leg... Oh, yeah. And then she just... Ri- and it was like, I saw that, it was like, oh my god. God, I couldn't take that. That was beautiful. Like, I'm the video game generation. I'm supposed to be the desensitized idiots who's doing all these bad things. It's like, I... I And then it went on the Daily... And then it got on the Daily Show. It did get on the Daily Show. During the the Supreme Court hearings. (laughs) You could not time that worse. And it was... Oh my God! It was like... Every other fatality, Johnny Cage slamming an Oscar into this guy's top of this guy's head, Shang Sun ripping people apart. Uh, oh, I forgot. Uh, I don't even remember what some of them were, but yeah, I'm fine with all that. And it's then Duke the ripping. Was, <gasps> you were thinking yeah. about Noob Saibot, who who rips people in half. He he spawns a second of himself, and uh, and, the, and and Medina, she eats you with her face. It was like, yeah, I'm cool with that. And there's like, oh my god. Like, that was just... If we ever found the step too far, I think that fatality was it. <laughs> well, I was okay with it. 
I was okay with it. <laughs> I just don't play the Mortal Kombat games. The last one I played was the original for Sega Genesis because I thought it was so cool that it was like six years old and I had the version that had blood in it. But um, <laughs> I'm just, you know I'm so over Mortal Kombat games, guys. I'm sorry. I, was, I played the third one. I loved the hell out of the third one. I I probably logged in hour, dozens of hours onto it, but on the Genesis. But it's not a franchise that has staying power. You sure? Or, it's, it's, it's sort it. of like. Some other it, games that we'll encounter later in this year, like Duke Nukem Forever. This was just like uh, a big year of throwbacks. Yeah. Except the uh, game that, on. that, what else is that I'll gush 2. about. I will gush about that game till the, end, till the, till the days run cold. Portal 2, to me, exemplifies... But I can't. I, I'll talk about Portal 2 now, okay? Uh, it, it exemplifies... Writing in games, it is, it is, you know, a lot of pro- games suffer from ludo narrative dissonance. As uh, uh, who coined that? The guy who wrote Far Cry Two, Chris Hawking. Clint Hawking. Because I'm Chris, yeah. and you wish that I had written it. Well, don't you wish you had written it? <laughs> it is pretty much one of the big, like, game critical terms of our generation. I would say it's. I mean, I think it's over applied and. In some cases, misapplied. It's mostly misapplied. misapplied. I think, yeah, that's better said because in some it's cases, it's a very like, narrow term, and people don't get that. Yeah. It's a very narrow term that just happens to happen quite a lot. Now, that's yeah. the thing is, I think that if anything, the original context in which he was applying it in Bioshock, where he's talking about mechanics defying the uh, political and moral overtures of the title of the narrative suggests that it's not small things that we should be applying it to, but big macro-level things. And the thing is, is that the one he applied it to, I don't think actually qualifies as Ludonarrative. <laughs> I think it's actually a very poor example. It's because almost like it the isn't. Oedipus Complex. It's like Oedipus didn't have the Oedipus Complex, but oh well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you take what you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, not to derail well, us. To me, it isn't yeah. just the writing of Portal 2 that's great. It's the structure. It's the structure. It, it follows like, an actual structure. Here's, yeah, here's here's Portal. One of the most per. It's as perfect as a video game can possibly be, game. if perfect if perfectness exists. I, I think it does. If perfection exists, and then you have Portal Two, who has to follow up on that. It was like it you could see the developers just looking at looking at each other and going, "Oh crap!" Here, here's what. Here's what they did. And they did it, and they well, didn't just do it like Little Big Planet, where it no. was it was technically better, but no one really remembers it. They just here's a shotgun, and here's a rocket launcher, and I'm going to use this rocket launcher to blow me up as far as high as I can go, and then shoot the rocket the shotgun to make myself go higher. And this metaphor got away from me, it's but a terrible they metaphor. Made... Stop. <laughs> I will okay. I'll say this. Uh, in, in terms of the game itself, it's it's they nailed it thematically, like. If you played it, then it's not a big spoiler. But as you descend into Aperture Labs, you you descend into its past, into the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. And there's this whole thematic thing where, you know, we see Aperture from the ground up. Like, it's humble beginnings as a coal mine. We we understand what makes Aperture Labs, what guides uh, the people who created Aperture Labs, what what guided Cave Johnson creating this behemoth uh, uh, machine, this, this gigantic laboratory, this, this complex called Aperture Laboratories. You know, it's, it's, it's this whole thing. And 
the whole game it, itself, you know, the, the way the difficulty levels, how, how it ramps up as you, you progressively gain more abilities uh, to use your powers and to use the, uh, the portal gun, it's the same thing. It's that you start from the 1950s. I mean, well, you start from today and then you go back to 1950s. It's that you start with very little. You, you have nothing to go on. And then you learn new strategies as you, uh, as you progress through the ages, the same way that Aperture Labs develop these sciences as they progress through the decades. And that, to me, is ludonarrative uh, assonance. Resonance. Resonance. Which one is it? Resonance, I, I, assonance, I, I, is, I think, is more like dissonance, honestly. Yeah. I think, I, I think you're looking I've for resonance. Using, I've been writing posts on, on, re, on, the, on the benefits and examples of resonance, so that's what I'm working with. I've heard it used with other people, too. Now, I think it's great as an example of a interactive pedagogical tool done absolutely perfectly right. I mean, yep. if you want to talk about a game that teaches, if you want to talk about a game that is a teacher, that understands how to teach, this is it. And what's even greater is that it took all the... And the thing is, sequels always say bigger and better, and it does it every time, with, especially with examples that will happen later in the year. But, and it's like, it, when it works, it's like it works. But when it doesn't work, we can always point to what Why isn't, is work. off, yeah. what it's off. But we could never, but when it worked before, we could never really, why? I think I just, when you were talking, I think it just dawned on me, is that they didn't, ex, they expanded the maps, or they expanded the world, and they expand the characters, and make it longer, and they make the world bigger. And that's usually the wrong way to do it. Yes. They expanded it thematically. They took the themes from the first one, which were very tightly constrained, very narrow, and they did what they had to do, and they hit all the points. And then they took the basic themes and said, okay, what haven't we hit on this? And we'll hit every, the rest of the umbrella that goes under this umbrella. Like, education was a very base subject. It was like the barest bones in the first one. In the second one, it's brought front and center, and it's shown the education through a lifetime of work and the misapplication of knowledge as well, and the holding back of knowledge. It took the minor uh, minor bullet point of social politics theme that appeared only on the side and very, very just sort of hidden away and very subtle, and here they bring it front and center and just go to town on the different implications and different resonance, and that's why expanding everything else worked, because it wasn't the same in its in its ideas, it pushed the boundaries of its ideas to match the boundaries of its space. It's also about self discovery. It's a journey of self discovery, not just for you, but for Glados as well. You know, throughout the game, she is conflicted, and eventually, she discovers who she is, and it all culminates in that. It, it's like she has finally found a purpose for herself. It is it is a beautiful thing. I have never seen anything so thematically consistent with Portal 2. And yeah. in a way, a story of redemption for GLaDOS, because yes. it's like, it, I guess even saying that is a bit of a spoiler, but it, it, she redeems herself. She is she is a psycho. She lost everything because of the way she, you could actually put this quite literally, the way con, uh, the Society of Scientists construct, literally constructed things around her, put, made her go practically insane, and she redeems herself even for what she's done, maybe she doesn't feel bad for it, but she, in her actions, she says, you know what? I can let go. I can let go of the things that are wrong and move mm -hmm. forward. And even and it's just a subtle thing. It's just a minor thing that just works so well. And it's got tons of these little things 
and that you may miss on the first go through. And it, it, and it's for that that it's worth replaying, not because you want the achievements, not because it's got a multiplayer mode, which it does, and that's a whole other explode, amazing explosion game. of amazingness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even the single player is replayable, if not for the fact because you didn't get everything the first time, yeah. and it's one of it's like the movies that you have to rewatch to see everything. It is I, one of those glorious things. The fountain. I, could, I just keep naming names, and it is. It's like that, you know. It everything is so thematically consistent. Even the music is thematically consistent. Like everywhere you go, there is a light motif, you know, that that goes throughout the whole game. There is a, a single theme. That, that follows you throughout the whole game. As you as you solve the puzzles, you get to hear more of that song. It is beautiful how they did this. And everything is consistent. Like I don't get to say this often, but you know what? Thank you, Val. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, Val. You know, one thing that we didn't touch on, but I think is also, if not equally important, is that throughout all of this, the fact that they made this incredibly deep game and the level of mechanics and the level of story... They also kept the humor. They didn't overdo it. They didn't underdo it. They knew exactly eh, what they were doing. Uh, well, that's one a better, two, one or two. better of debate. I think, that debate it was, I think that it was well executed. I didn't particularly care for the fat jokes, but at the same time... It, it was, was only one or two of them, but the rest, like the parents, like the ripping the rug out from under you with the parents and the party, it, like, it was like the first third of the game when GLaDOS has, recome, has, has re- been reborn. That was like, I expected it, I knew it was coming, she's going to trick me, and it was still a punch to the gut. I was laughing my head off with that. I mean, I just, I was, I was amused with the whole pass ag turns into open aggressive Gladys in that entire arc of the game. But the, uh, but the bird, that had, I had to stop playing because I was howling so hard. <laughs> Well, the real standout here. characters in there was actually Cave Johnson, who was like, besides oh, yeah. Wheatley, who was a very ineffectual male figure, uh, was just one of the only strong male voices you hear in this franchise, which is strange to say, because it's usually... I don't know. Parents. To me, it's like, I think he's putting up a front for, again, an ineffectual, second-rate well, person. He's, he's the, uh... Yeah, well, what were you saying? Well, no, I mean, like, I totally agree that he's a buffoon character, but it's, he's got a strong presence, is what I'm he has saying. a strong presence, you know, he's Cave Johnson. He's gonna blow your house up with the lemon. Yeah, you know, he's in your face. And, okay, here's another thing before we move on to a different game. I would say that uh, thematically, again, it's interesting to note that uh, in the first third of the game, uh, of Portal 2, uh, it's all about childhood. It's all about your childhood. You know, she makes references to how you were adopted, to how your parents don't love you, how, you know, uh, you're fat and so on. And then you even explore parts of of Aperture where you see your childhood... um, you know, your, your potato battery, it, it's all about childhood. And then as you get into the second portion of the game, it's adolescence. And then finally, in the third part of the game, you're an adult. Everyone grows up. Uh, it's, it's self-discovery for GLaDOS, it's adulthood for you. And, it, and there's, there's also... And then there's also the we, subtext that, that GLaDOS and, and Cave are her parents, which is whole yeah. other kettle of fish. Well, and, it, the thing yeah. is, it's subtext, but it's not really. Game. It's an it, interesting. It, it, I think it's, it's. I think it's one possible interpretation that it's they've like, left open that I find very interesting. At, like at the start, you're basically a child. You know, you're guided along by Wheatley. He's acting as a parent to you, a surrogate parent to you, along with Glados and her instructions. She's a bad parent, but she's a parent nonetheless. In the second act, you're basically alone. You're underground. You have no support whatsoever. There's no help. Teenage years. Teenage years. You know, you're. <laughs> 
you're rebelling. And, understanding and, the flaws of your parents. Yeah, you're understanding the flaws of your parents. What made them? You know, you you under, you discover uh, what made Glados who she is. What made Wheatley who he is. And in the third part of the game, you realize that your parents are not perfect. You know, Wheatley's a he's a fuck up. And and I'm Glados, gonna... you, you you reconcile with her just like a child reconciles. You know, his parents and. Uh, as they become adults, and they don't fight each other anymore. It is a wonderful story. I'm going to have to cut you off there, because this is all going to be for the Portal 2 podcast whenever we get that critical compilation out. (laughs) Because that's really what this is true. Oh, come on. Yeah, 2014. I'm the one doing the compilation. Well, that's all I have to (laughs) say. Okay, 2015. Oh, I... It's so so thematic, and there's so many themes going on. You know, I need to write this as an article. Seriously. Do that, and then uh, we'll include it in the compilation. So, yeah. but also, I know no one seems to have played this game, Outland. Why has no one played this game? I don't even know what it is. Outland. What is it? I know. I I was surprised to find out it was this year. I thought it was a, a game I missed from last year. It's um, it's a Metroidvania downloadable title for the XBLA and the PSN, and it's 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 like got this ancient mystical. Well, I hate to put it because. It isn't as offensive as I'm going to make the sound. That it's like African tribal uh, aesthetic, except it's like everyone's figures and black silhouettes with bands of color around them, and you can flip between red and blue like Ikaruga to have different attacks affect the enemies or not affected by their blasts. And it's just the Metroidvania of exploration and this challenging color switching platformer with great and thematically resonant music, a wonderful art style. It's it's a, it's it's a $15 downloadable game that I still haven't managed to get all the way through because it's so large. And it's a Metroidvania game that doesn't do the problems other Metroidvania games is by making them sprawling with absolutely no logic to them whatsoever. And just make them sprawling for sprawling strike. Yeah, they're sprawling, but it's it's structured sprawling. It's like it's a very it's a hub that you go to different part to different places as they unlock, and that place sprawls out, but not as big as the entire map of of Dracula's castle in Castlevania. So it's smaller, but it's only one section. So it's controllable, it's understandable, and it's navigatable. Most importantly, and the boss fights are just the, of the two I've done so far. It's it's a really big game are amazing. The second one especially when you're flying on top of decay, flying on in the middle of no- nowhere, jumping from platform to platform to try and hit this boss. It's wonderful. And no one's heard of it, but I have to put the spiel out there. You should know this exists. Okay.